0: welcome everybody to episode 35 of the coffee and code cast a live stream tech podcast where we talk about neither coffee or code I'm Kyle Johnson
1: and I'm Mike sheehan thanks for joining us today guys live uh, on air with video today it's kind of our it's kind of a pseudo attack we didn't think we were gonna do video today we weren't sure how that was gonna go
0: it was in the cards last week we talked about it we didn't think it was gonna happen due to uh, being busy but We made it happen. So we got one feed. We're going to
1: make it better. But uh, today we got some good stuff for you guys. We're going to finish talking about Microsoft Build 2019 and go a little bit more into the tech news on that. Uh, We're going to cover the battle between Amazon and Walmart with some new shipping updates. And uh, that's probably all we got time for. Some other stuff in there in the middle there, too. Thanks for joining.
0: Welcome to the video got a gotta little look weird, at Our man. ugly mugs here wanna, for a while. Do
1: I look at you? Do I look over there? I think we got to figure that out.
0: You got to ignore the camera. The camera's not here.
1: The most important thing is that we got a couple ice cold cans of Coors Light.
0: Now you can actually see that we're cracking real Coors Light, mm. not hitting, not hitting some, Hit you know, button.
1: not hitting some fake button like like that. Yeah, there we go. Nice job, thank you. I already cracked that one before we started, so <clears throat> this is good. I think we had talked about moving this to a different. Right now, there's a not the most exciting set here. We've got this big projector screen behind us. This is the conference room that we've been filming or recording uh for what? Probably about 9 months now or something like that. For a while anyway. I don't remember how long. Yeah, it's been a minute in here, but um we've got other areas in the building that we're going to set up for video. We're trying the stage next week, I think, because it just has a pretty cool brick backdrop and uh should be a little better for our for our purposes.
0: Yeah. So how's everything going? We got some likes going on here, people liking stuff.
1: We're See, this is the art thing too. Like there's just so much going on right now. I can see that we've got a couple people on Facebook. I don't know where the likes are coming from. Is that on? <laughs> I don't see that. Don't so either. that's So you're looking at that. You've got Facebook open, you've got Slack open over there.
0: I think this is an interesting thing to see cuz now people can see kind of what the setup looks like. Like yeah. we've got a lot of There's a lot of gear on the table here. And we know? got
1: this set up in about 15 minutes, but still we've got a couple of laptops. The soundboard, the mixing board is right here, and that's uh, where we've got all the the recording happens and we can set all the sound effects and open beers and <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah, that thing.
0: We haven't played that one in a while. Yeah, I hit the wrong one.
1: <laughs> but you're right. You can get a better p- picture of what we've got going on for this little live stream setup.
0: Yeah, so you got laptops over there. I don't know if it's uh, visible. Yeah, it is The little white device kind of over there. That's the uh, video
1: broadcasting device. Excuse yeah, me. this guy's the live streamer.
0: So once we have more video angles, he'll be able to switch using his iPad uh, video angles uh, one to another, and that's what ha- that, that device handles that. Um, so a lot of stuff on the table. We need to clean it up. We need to make it look a little more presentable.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was a dry run. We just wanted to see if we could get a video working and just do a test of getting it out there. Unfortunately, we can't at this time get it out on multiple channels like we were going to do Facebook and YouTube. It looks like at this point we're just on Facebook, but that's fine. That's where we get a lot of love.
0: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, Somebody had already commented on me. Where? Why aren't you on YouTube? Um, Currently, we've gotten better response on uh, Facebook just by posting it. Uh, Video, I think, is going to draw even more people. So, we do want to still tend to YouTube, but we need another service in order to make that happen. So, still working on that. Maybe next week. See how busy we get.
1: Exactly. I think the point is, is that we've done a lot to improve the audio quality over the last thirty-five episodes, and we kind of got eh, not quite bored with it, but just wanted to do a little extra. And so now that we've got the video thing, I I look for some cool stuff to come in the next, uh, weeks and months. I think it'll be, uh, 10 episodes from now, the video is going to be a hell of a lot better than it is today.
0: And we do have, you know, we've talked about it before on the show here. We do have faces for radio. So if you don't want to look at us, you can just, you know, minimize the tab or, you know, you don't have to, Look at us the whole time.
1: There should be a Zoom feature. You can just zoom in over here on me, and then, oh. you know, you can... Don't worry about it, Kyle. That's too distracting <laughs> for you there. I understand. My rugged good looks. So this is interesting, too. I We could have some technical difficulties because I'm getting some... Oh, no. That's the wrong thing. The phone is 100%. We're looking great. Never mind. See, I got to get used to all these. There's so many things going on right now. It's yeah. It's so hard to keep track of it all.
0: Technologically, this is amazing. Like, you have the board taking in these mics, which is going to... The sling studio over there, the white box, yep. which is then being consumed or broadcasting out to the web in live. So that's what everybody's seeing.
1: And it's all being controlled by an iPad. <laughs> I mean, it's just pretty impressive. Like five years ago, you couldn't do this with this amount of money. It would cost a lot more money. 10, 15 years ago, you'd had to be a millionaire right know, like how are you gonna do that it's just crazy to think we've come a long way with technology in a short amount of time
0: i had another fun experience very similar to that point uh we were i was heading out to north bend yesterday for uh christina's we were having a dinner with her mother for mother's day a little late mother's day dinner and uh we had an outage uh with the product that i'm working on and so i had to jump in the car with my laptop hook it up to my phone tether it so that i could use the internet and i was doing deploys on my way in the car from North Bend to North Bend, wow, Washington, like driving in a car, deploying code. Like that's, that was kind of weird.
1: Through the car, into the cloud somewhere.
0: All wirelessly.
1: All wireless, out yeah. to production. Yeah. Wow. No more um, dial-up modems, that's for damn sure, huh? I was just like, what? what time do we live in? You know, that's crazy. It's insane. It's insane. But I'm happy. It's a ton of fun for us. We get to enjoy the hell out of this thing, so... Uh, I think it's great.
0: Speaking of uh, what time do we live in, one of the cool stories that I uh, added to the notes here. Yes. Want to move
1: right into that? Let's jump in.
0: Amazon Prime one-day shipping is rolling out already. So this was news recently that Amazon Prime was going to put a ton of items in as one-day shipping. Yes. Which currently it's two for most items, right? And I think that's pretty true kind of across the United States. Like here in Seattle, we're pretty close to Amazon. We have some pretty big distribution warehouses around here. So I think a lot of things you could get next day, but you'd have to pay, I think, what, 599
1: Usually that's what they do. And that even if it's uh two-day for free, it's a lot of times already in the warehouse here. It could be same day. They just want you to pay for it. Yeah. And so this this has been a big ramp up. They were doing a massive hiring just to be able to accommodate this. I've, I read an article this morning, actually, that they're offering $10,000 and three months of Salary up front for Amazon folks that want to be um, same day delivery people, like that want to get their own business up and running to do same day deliveries.
0: I read about that. So they want to kind of do the gig business, much like Uber Lyft.
1: Right, exactly. So they're going to help you get started and uh, try to get a small army of people to do these deliveries same day. And it's really in response to Walmart. Well, Walmart's responding to Amazon because they had a release today also that said that they were going to be doing one day shipping soon as well.
0: Have you ever ordered anything from Amazon? Uh, sorry, from Walmart?
1: No, I don't even shop there anymore, but like when I lived in Omaha, that was a lot more common, you know, like I did a lot then. And so I think it's probably one of those things where if you were a long time Walmart shopper, or if you are in a more rural area, um, that might be beneficial. I don't know how Amazon's coverage is now in rural parts of, the Midwest, let's just say. But um, if you have a Walmart there, then in theory, you could do the one day thing from any of those locations, right? I mean, those things are monster warehouses. And so everywhere you have one, you could probably do that sort of a thing.
0: That was my kind of question is like, I'm from the Midwest originally. So I was like, I wonder how well this is going to work from the standpoint of like, you know, my parents or my, you know, my family that might order from Amazon, can they get it? Can they get it one day? Does it even give them that option? Because it's kind of out in the middle of the, you know, flyover country.
1: Well, they have enough data. They already know how to get inventory to the location. So I don't think it would be that much of a stretch for them to say, look, like we'll make sure we have enough of this on hand to do it. And it's a small rollout first. Maybe you uh, do a, a limited run with a few thousand products and then you can open it up to a lot more.
0: And I think it has to be, do you know, the way that you described it with these kind of independent contracting companies, like they can't ship the stuff through UPS or FedEx because like the cost would be so astronomical. Like it, there's no, it wouldn't make sense. Even with the prime memberships that they're getting, it still no. wouldn't make any sense.
1: No, nope. that's the deal. I mean, that's why Amazon went to their own Amazon Air, right? They moved to buying their own planes and and b- building um, more warehouses closer to... They have more of a hub-and-spoke model now so that they can get these things on truck from place to place and then get them the last mile uh, next day. So it's saving them millions and... Well, really, billions of dollars in shipping because they pay so much for shipping. It's just outrageous.
0: Kind of... Uh On the same topic, but off the topic, uh, there was a a thing, of. uh, uh, it's probably been a year ago that I found this already, but it was a way, somebody who gave you a way that you could find out what your total spend on Amazon is all time.
1: Yeah, there's a way you can export all of your shopping into an Excel. Yeah, it up. <laughs> don't I don't do recommend it. you do it. I agree. <laughs> uh, it's pretty terrifying. I you... said
0: I said very emphatically that I would not do that, and yeah. then I did it, and I was just like, "Oh my god, why did I do it?" Yeah, exactly. That it was, didn't feel good. That
1: wasn't a good idea. I yeah. made better decisions in my life.
0: <laughs> I'll link to that in the show notes if you're curious about your Amazon's how to do that. Yeah. yeah,
1: and it's all time, right? It goes back to like the beginning. Yeah, when
0: they were just a bookstore. Yeah, when yeah. you were just
1: buying college textbooks. Right.
0: Yeah a long time ago it's a lot cheaper then
1: it's funny how you can see the progression because it was like the distribution like the first few years pretty small and then there was a notable jump like probably in like 2008 or something and it's just been off the rails ever since then so i don't use it a whole lot right now actually i'll tell you that um i've been using less of amazon i'm just i'm just buying less i I don't think it's because i'm going somewhere else i'm just buying less
0: i'm with you Uh, especially this month we've been trying to cut back but Any, any
1: particular reason? Well, I, I don't know. I think that maybe it's just because I've got all the things I need. I mean, there was a period of time there when I was in the apartment that there was just a lot of different things that, well, for one thing I had two pets and so there was all kinds of pet supplies and food and that sort of thing that I was ordering on the regular. And, uh, uh, I don't know, like little odds and ends for the apartment. The only thing I really need now is like laundry detergent, you know, dryer sheets Paper towels, toilet paper, like that that kind of stuff. Subscribe and save? Yeah, like those types of items. And so I do that. I just don't have them very often. Like if I get a big roll, like a jumbo roll of toilet paper, like I might do that a couple times a year or something. I just don't, yeah. need it, you know what I mean? Like I don't need them that often.
0: Yeah. We still utilize Costco for some of those kind of big bulk purchases like that. But yeah, I definitely have like detergents and soaps and things like that that come, you know, via Amazon Prime, subscribe and save. Yeah. Cat food. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I said, I still use it. And and more now than anything, I'll just get like odd and then stuff. I'll get books with it sometimes. Or really the thing I've used it most this year has been all this shit that we have in front of us here. Like I've been getting most of this stuff (laughs) from Amazon. Yeah. You've got a
0: pretty, I mean, let's just be honest here. The, the, what I, what I've got sitting in front of me, this mic, this laptop, those are mine. The rest of the shit's Mike's. (laughs) Yeah. it
1: Technically belongs to pragma consulting LLC. Thank you very much for your contributions to this, um, marketing endeavor. It's a marketing expense. Yeah. In the business world. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about a
0: little bit about more, uh, tax write-offs here in another episode, but, uh, yeah, that's another, we're getting a little long in the, uh, in the chattiness here. Maybe we should move along.
1: Yeah, let's move along. So I don't know how much of this we're going to get to, or how much we even should get to, but you know, last week, oh yeah, please queue up the, uh, Please cue that up you're, for me. You're getting a little jumping here. I'm getting a little here. excited, man. I need our Coors Light. We need our bumper. Me a second here.
0: Here we go. It's okay, man. You get a little excited. I, just I understand. Get
1: little, I get a little Coors Light in me, and all yeah. of a sudden, like I get a little lit up, you know? I'm just getting <laughs> a little fired up about things. Uh, the topic for today, though, is, is Microsoft Build Conference 2019. So that was last week at the Washington State Convention Center. And we had covered... Um, We had good intentions last week of covering some of the details and we really had, but I like the discussion we had because it was more of a kind of state of the union, kind of a talk about where Microsoft was and where they're going and, and some of the cool things that have happened at the organizational level and not so much about the product announcements. And so I'd like to switch gears and do that today.
0: We'll see what we can get through. We didn't get through any of them.
1: We didn't get through anything. (laughs) And we can pick and choose, and we don't have to spend too much time on any one of these things. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of product announcements that came out last week, a lot of cool stuff. And uh, I took a couple pages of notes just trying to get the Cliff Notes version of what was going on.
0: So if you're not super into technical jargon, you know, uh, that's probably what the most of the rest of this cast is going to be about. So you can excuse yourself if you're not a super tech nerd. We won't get too deep in the weeds, I hope. but. We'll yeah. talk about them from a little bit of a higher level.
1: Yeah, I apologize in advance for everybody else. This is like the most technical we ever get on the show. Usually it's a lot of tech news and bullshit and that sort of thing. Uh, and maybe if it gets a little dry in the middle, you can throw some Tesla news in there or something for us. Yeah. But uh, but I think for the developer community, especially the .NET community, there's an open source community for that matter. There is a lot of really exciting things happening uh, right now at Microsoft. And I'd like to jump right in. Let's just talk about um, kind of the... The big one is the .NET framework, uh, .NET roadmap, and this has been painful for us for a a while now because um, kind of like back in the day when you had to write code for different browsers, um, and you had to do one thing for Google Chrome and one thing for Firefox, and it was just real tedious work to to get a project out the door like we've kind of had this like dilution in the .net framework now where if you want to build for mobile apps in the Xamarin framework then you're using kind of one part of the .net framework over here and if you're doing uh, you know like desktop development there's a different .net framework here and if you're working on a Mac well that's a whole other framework and some stuff is just isn't going to work .net roadmap with .net 5 brings all those together so you have one .net now you're going to get rid of all these different libraries and mismatch of of uh, methods and that sort of thing. And it's really going to give you one experience across all pro- all platforms, uh, Mac, Linux, PC, and one experience over all devices. So whether you're working with mobile or uh, Win- Win- Windows desktop or um, web apps, you're gonna have one experience, one base library. Uh, it's gonna simplify development quite a bit.
0: Build once and deploy for many devices, right? That's the idea? That's well, the
1: idea, and I, and I think you know, there's still a long way to go before it's just like the this panacea of like one code for everything. But they're making great progress in that direction. And so, yes, like that is the idea. Uh, write once, deploy to many. And so I think the long-term vision would be almost if you could imagine you have a project, you write code for that one project. And with a click of a button, it goes on your Windows desktop. It goes to your mobile phone. It goes to your iPad, whatever. And I think... That's the direction they're going. Um, not quite there, but it's getting a lot better than it used to be.
0: And I think this is just the the next kind of incarnation of, of the .NET framework, right? They kind of went from like purely .NET framework. That was kind of the only thing that was available. Then they went to, uh, they had .NET Core and .NET Standard, which uh, .NET Core was kind of the new way to do things, which I think is more or less what the new, what is it, .NET 5? Yes. That's more or less what it is, right? It's core.
1: It's just, yeah, the, yeah. it's going to be the new guy going forward and they're going to bring the other things into that fold
0: but before you had .NET standard which could kind of bridge the gap between those two frameworks either one could talk to it so you kind of have like a a middleman if you will right and so now they're just kind of fully launching all the way to the other side which i think is is needed and has been needing to be done for a while but it was kind of a slow iterative process and they're finally getting to that point where they can just pull the rug out
1: ton of work too i would say that like this, just the sheer amount of work that the guys had to go through to get to this point, it's not going to release until late next year. So it's not even really close to release yet, but, um, they're doing a ton to, to make this work cross platform. So very exciting. If you're developing in .NET space for sure, like look for things to get a little simpler, uh, in, you know, in the road ahead here.
0: Does it still support VB.net. Oh, of course. Oh, well, good. Then, then I'm in
1: VB.net, uh, C sharp. And now they even have Q sharp, which is their quantum computing language. F sharp, F sharp. Yeah. I don't really use F sharp. Do you ever do any F sharp? Throw a lot of F bombs. F bombs, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's not going to be supported in the framework, but right. I support it. I have no problem with that at all.
0: Well, we got a little uh, message here from one of our listeners, and he wants the spin coffee update.
1: God damn it, we don't have a spin coffee update <laughs> now I'm Sorry to derail upset. you here. Oh, I'm, not, I'm just gonna, no, it's actually good to break it up a little bit. Yeah, I looked this morning for a spin update because you know they're supposed to be monthly, and of course, what is it? It's not even. It's the middle of May. And there's no May update yet. So there's a lot of. The update right now is there's a lot of people on the forums complaining that, you know, oh, you guys are back to your old ways. They're just not giving us any fucking updates. Where's our coffee maker?
0: The update is still that there is no update. <laughs> the that's update's the, no that's update. That's the perpetual update. Yeah, we of keep the saying spin the same coffee. thing, but that's where it's
1: at. Yeah. Hey, exactly.
0: we're just going to keep following up. Eventually, you yeah. will have something, maybe. Yeah.
1: I mean, I could always have a refund. That's still an option. I could go back and get my $600 back for this. Fucking magical piece of equipment that doesn't exist.
0: I don't know. It's a bit now on the show. Like if you would, if you would go for the refund and not get anything, and we couldn't talk about it anymore, I don't think that would be as much fun.
1: Well, and I don't care. I I spent the money on that.
0: At at this point, it's six hundred dollars well spent. As far as I'm concerned, it's fodder for the show, entertainment value, and
1: well, and to be honest, I bought this thing almost three years ago, so I'm not missing the money. Yeah, you know, it's like I paid, It's like paying that tax bill three years ago. I kind of forgot about it now. So yeah. Well, thanks for uh,
0: thanks for the reminder of that. Now let's go back to our topic.
1: Yeah. So moving on from the .NET framework, that other big announcement too is that, you know, there's a big uh, shift that's happened over the years in web development where um, you kind of have everything was on the server, right? And then it's like, okay, we're going to go from the server and then we're going to have the browser do all the work. And then you get into jQuery and JavaScript frameworks and that sort of thing and, and it's evolved to a point now where I feel like you almost have to spend as much time on the front end as you do on the back end. You got to build out all your APIs and you have to build out the database and all the infrastructure. And then you have more sophisticated models that you're actually bringing over to the, to the browser. And so you have to build those out on the client. And so now you've got Vue.js and angular and these other frameworks to help manage that and make it simpler and provide some scaffolding around building your web app on the front. Um, Microsoft's trying to compete in that space. They're trying to actually make things a little easier for the developer here too. And so they're coming out with a product called .NET Blazor. And uh, I, they promise that it's not another Silverlight. So I, they said that was like, <laughs> I think that was like the branding of it. It's like, not another Silverlight, uh, be not afraid. You know, this is actually something different and pretty cool that they're doing. Um, but the idea is that it's C-sharp in the front end. So it sounds kind of interesting. How do you do that? Well, really it's taking advantage of, of WebAssembly and they're taking your C sharp code in Razor and they're compiling it down to WebAssembly, and um, running it on the browser.
0: So this one, uh, although interesting, I actually found this one fascinating that they even ventured into this. Yes. The 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 front end frameworks from from a dev perspective are moving at such an incredibly fast pace. You know, we've talked about this a number of times in the office. If you're working in back end code, like that's pretty well baked. Like stuff comes slowly but you know generally the patterns have been pretty well established mm-hmm. you do it in a certain way you know there might be some arguments about that but generally it doesn't move super quickly whereas the front end moves incredibly quick if you're not in the front end for 6 months you're probably well behind
1: right i would agree with that
0: and now like you're porting effectively a back end language to replace a, or try to write front end code in a, in frameworks that are you know, it's not using the frameworks that are well established and well recognized as kind of like the default things to go to for a front end project. So I'm a little bit interested to hear how they're going to accomplish this and if it'll get any kind of adoption. Because I think they've already been bitten by you know Web Forms and Microsoft MVC and all these other things that are kind of you know feel pretty heavy handed compared to like the typical um, front end frameworks like uh, not Razor um, View or React or right. Angular.
1: Well, what I would say to that, what they might say to that, too, is that back in the day, you were trying to make it feel like a familiar environment, if you're a C-sharp developer, to do web development. But yeah. you were still having to deal with JavaScript and and all of those things. It's just that they tried to maybe obscure some of the details from you or abstract them away. Uh, and, and, and MVC, admittedly, was like a server-side code, right? I mean, there was some stuff running on the client. But mostly it was just like server-side code and a lot of Ajax calls happening. Right. So, kind of a
0: Microsoft Ajax flavor.
1: Yes. Right? Yep. So this is a departure from that because really like you're not turning anything, you're not, you're not converting to JavaScript. You're not um, trying to like approximate something in JavaScript at all. It's just like there's, two, there's actually two hosting options. So one is that um, if you want to do client-side hosting, then it will take your C sharp and compile it down into WebAssembly, which WebAssembly is actually growing in in popularity and is 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 really a fast one of the fastest ways I know of to actually do front end work right now. At, uh, don't get me wrong, I think that Vue and those guys are pretty good, but this is like a good competitor to that. So so this is a way to get C sharp into that. And I think that um that's an appealing option because you're already familiar with it. Here's the benefit. You don't have to do your models twice. You don't have to have, um, you know, your your API has a view model and then you go back to your front-end code and you got to have a JavaScript model. You, it eliminates all of that. You basically just use your API view model in the browser and it already has the events that you need, like the click events and all the event handlers to handle um, the events that you're trying to process. I
0: think that's always been a, like, you know, it makes me think of, like, Rails back in the day when, like, you could scaffold shit you like you would like literally like write like rails scaffold user or something like that and it would build you a user form and that would interact with the database and like everything just kind of happened automat automatically and yep it was great until you needed to do like anything more sophisticated with it <laughs> and, and then it, like on all, all fell apart like i kind of feel like that's where this is going to be headed like i think it can do some things very quickly and easily for like a very basic project but i think once you really start to have to pull it apart and do something more sophisticated i think it's n- Personally, I think it's not going to do well, but I'll be interested to, to tie tie into it and see how it works.
1: Is it time to crack the second one here? Let's do it. All right. Oh yeah, that's good.
0: There we go. One more.
1: Mm. That's for our listeners. That's the <laughs> <coughs> that's the third man. Well have there the third you go. man on our show. Yeah. Um there now this is an interesting option. So the first thing I said is C sharp down to WebAssembly, but the other option is server side hosting. So This I'm a little skeptical of too, but it's kind of crazy what they're doing. So server side is you write your code once, okay? And then you compile and it will spit out the DOM only on the front end. So like your front end website will be just HTML on the edge, like 400 bytes or whatever it takes to render your page. And then everything that happens on the page goes back to the server through SignalR. So if I click on a button, SignalR to the server, it says, oh yeah, I got the button click, boom. Bring it back out.
0: Wow! So that's real-time event handling. Not not yeah. Not even
1: not even Ajax now. Yeah. Now you have a. It's kind of like it almost sounds to me like um, in messaging how we deal with this in message queues, right? You've got that AMQP. AMPQ. Right. Always open connection. Yeah, a perpetual connection to the, you know, to the hub or to the to the server, and yeah, and it's routing everything back. Super fast in the demo. I mean, they had one of those demos where you like it counts how many times you have a counter and you click the button. Right. And as fast as you click the button, it's going back to the server to do the addition and send back the number.
0: Right. So if you're not familiar, like SignalR, probably the best way to describe that would be like if you think of like a chat application, like a real-time chat with somebody, that's kind of a good use case for SignalR where it's like anybody that's subscribing to it. So like if I'm sending a message to Mike, like he's got an open connection and he receives the event and it immediately pipes into his side and tells him that there's a... A new message.
1: I think of it like a, a simpler way to describe it would be like the old landline or like through a telephone, you know, like a, a typical web request and a web response would be kind of like <laughs> picking up a phone and dialing a number and then waiting for someone to pick up. And then like you relay the information and then you both hang up. Um, I mean, that's kind of a, but, in, a way where Signal R is just like you got the phone, you already dialed, somebody's on the other end, and now you just keep the thing on, right? like off the hook the whole time. And you're just talking and you can wait 30 minutes and come back to the phone and say something and they're already there listening to you. So you don't have any latency. There's no delay in connecting to the other side.
0: And so effectively it's compiling it down. It's not a whole lot different than like when you uh, compile or, or or build down like a view project. Effectively what you've got at the end is, is just HTML and JavaScript yeah. that are posting to some server or something somewhere. Um, but in this case, the posts are to signal R versus to an API, which um, is kind of a round trip type thing where basically you're saying like, hey, uh, API, I'm, here's, here's some data, open connection, here's data, close connection, right? That's
1: right. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I'm not sure how practical that will be either. I'd like to see it. I'd like to get my hands on it a little bit more. But I did love the idea of the simplicity of not having to replicate in the front end what you've already done in the back end. I think if... If they really pulled it off, then that could be a big time saver, and maybe it's not something for, um, you know, I don't know. I'm just making this up, but maybe it's not for like public front-facing sites at scale, but it could be great for intranet or if you need to stand up an app pretty quickly. that like, you just eliminate a lot of work. I
0: would agree with that. That so, makes a lot of sense.
1: Yep. So that that's pretty neat, man. .Net Blazer. That was a new. A new one,
0: and is that available immediately, or when is that? When is that shipping?
1: Um, you can already do work with it, but I don't think that's for production use yet. This is still in preview, and um, the idea here too is that it's going to replace Microsoft Web Forms, which is the old beast that you and I got started on back in the Med Center days. Web Forms, I love. Uh, no, I don't love them. We don't really love Web Forms, <laughs> but they were nice back in the day. You could like drag and drop shit onto a screen, and then all of a sudden, you know, like Matt. Microsoft magic happens and your database is on your web page and all that cool stuff, grid views.
0: Yeah, it was very much kind of built off the old, like, you know, Windows Forms model.
1: Yeah, that was the idea, kind of like building Dragon. It was the drag and drop idea that you used to do when you were doing Windows development. You can now bring to the web. And so they announced that that's going to be retired. It's not going to be developed or supported past .NET 4.8, so it's not coming over to .NET 5. .NET Blazor is going to be the new way to do Web, all things web, um, and it uses Razor and all that cool stuff too. Did
0: they talk anything about backward compatibility from .NET five on to, back to any of the, you know, versions that are existing .NET Framework, .NET Core, et cetera?
1: Hmm, I'm I wasn't privy to that. If that happened, I don't I don't know.
0: Yeah, just kind of. I mean, just was curious as to like how much rework you ha- you're gonna have to do to to migrate to that kind of a framework. So
1: yeah, I'm sure there'll be some. Um, I think I think that's the idea. Is that like there's it's 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 going to be a lot of work if you're going to have to go from a web forms to a blazer or something like that, right? Sure. Um, you know, from .NET four to five, just the framework stuff. I think I think it's going to be kind of like what it is now for framework versus core, right? Like it's there's going to be some things that just don't exist anymore that you're going to have to get used right. to or, re- or rewrite. So
0: that's cool. I'm excited to see the new technologies. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to say that it's going to replace Vue, React, and, and Angular. I think those are pretty well established players in in the in the business. And I think uh, I think of the, I think of Blazer almost. You know, it kind of makes me think of like Microsoft's forays into like uh, what's a good example? Try, well, trying to reintroduce Internet Explorer or yep. Edge. Yep. Right. They're not well respected in that in that particular industry. They're not well respected in the last time Microsoft kind of really published a front end package. What was it? Front page.
1: Yeah, the front page was forms. kind of like a cold <laughs> fusion—not cold fusion, but Macromedia, what Dreamweaver or something like that.
0: No, that was totally different. Front page was a Microsoft product. I'm pretty no, sure. No,
1: no, that's what I'm saying. It was like to rival that.
0: Ah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, and it was just not pretty. I think that's it had the markup it had was pretty disgusting, kind of like a Word document or something. What it
0: was, yeah, font tags and stuff like that. I remember that was kind of the first thing that I got into when I got into. I don't know, it's probably not even correct to say development yeah.
1: at that point. Fiddling with code. <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh,
0: we definitely put together a lot of databases that had access backends, yeah. Microsoft Access, because that's what I wanted to use. That's right. Yep, and I was trying to convince, you know, coworkers to use CSS instead of these font tags and all this other well, why BS. Why would I want
1: to do that? I could just say width equals 49 right here. Right, exactly. It's, it's so much more convenient. It looks good. Yeah.
0: Color oh. equals
1: black. It's actually not a bad segue. It's not next on the list, but it's in here somewhere. But you're talking about Microsoft Edge, and one of the big announcements that they had was that they finally, you know, this is something we've hated for years as developers is maintaining these different uh, standards on each browser. And so if you're coding, not only like for Chrome or for Firefox or or Edge or IE, but now it's like within the IE community, you got to support IE6 versus seven versus 10. They're all a little different. Some tags work in some and some tags break in others. And they were trying to get on the same standard, but never really did. And they finally caved in and said, fuck it. Like the next version of edge is going to be running on chromium.
0: I think we talked about this a little bit in the last show, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, it's going to run on the Chrome engine.
1: That's right. We right? did maybe we did cover that last yeah. time because that was a pretty big deal. I mean, that's huge. It is
0: a big deal. Like huge the, announcement. Yeah. So really what amounts to is kind of like I, or Microsoft is kind of wrapping the Chrome browser kind of like in a simplistic term it's the wrapping the chrome the, browser the
1: engine behind chrome right. right like where it does all the interpreting and and draws the shit on your screen that's all going to be one code base now but yep. they can still say that they have their own browser and then they can add their own enhancements to it
0: right will they still send a non ie user agent string i don't so know that you can't filter them
1: out <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question I don't know. I know they have IE mode. I'm not really sure what they're going to do about that.
0: That was so IE mode, if I'm not mistaken, that was a feature that if it is, uh, you know, if, if, if like a lot of these big organizations have websites that are s- super legacy, super old, and they continue to run, but they can only run in a certain version of the browser. Let's say IE 6, 7, something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, IE mode, if I'm not mistaken, is if you're using Edge, the new version of IE, it will understand that that site was built only for that technology, yes. that that kind of era. And it'll kind of downgrade itself, for lack of a better term, to render in kind of IE6 or IE7 in a, mode.
1: In more of a backward compatible fashion. Yeah. Right. So it'll continue
0: to render the page, which is cool. Yeah. That continues support for these applications. It's cool on that aspect, but it's also unfortunate that it's not just like the final like nail in the coffin, like get yeah. these fucking apps out of here.
1: Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, that'll be helpful. it will help people migrate over because right now you've got to maintain multiple versions of browser if you're a legacy uh, shop and you're running old, old programs that are on the 10 years old or something like that.
0: That's why I was just going to look up. How old is goddamn IE6 or 7?
1: Well, I mean, we were dealing with that in Nebraska still, I thought. We right? were. Right? I, so that would have been like 2005, 6?
0: <laughs> Internet Explorer 7. Long time ago. It is a long time ago was released in 2006 that was seven
1: ie seven was yes so six had to be like 2004 six was
0: horrible and worse no it was 2001 oh my god so we have apps that are running still that are 18 years old
1: we've been complaining about this browser for that long (laughs) half my damn life i've been cussing ie6 yeah it's getting better yeah we're making progress there
0: sort of we're masking the problem
1: yeah, well, this is this is the effort that we talked about last week. That Microsoft is really trying to be a solutions provider for all technologies across all platforms, and so like it's not necessarily about our stuff's better now. It's like how can we make your experience better? And I think this is a big step. It goes a long way, and it's going to make our lives as developers a lot easier on the web, uh, not having to worry about that shit anymore. So yeah, that's about all I can say about that. We can we can move along a little bit. You want? Do you have anything interesting you want to? Sprinkle in the middle here, no, okay. <laughs> this might be interesting to some people uh because it does you know it sounds super techy and geeky, but Microsoft, Azure, and their cloud they have a lot of these services that you can use um to hook up to your applications to do things um and cognitive services is a big branch of the the offerings they have, and what is cognitive services well, well, cognitive services is all kinds of cool stuff, like like speech um, recognition, like speech to text or text to speech. And so just think before the cloud, um, I had a little business and I wanted to uh, transcribe, you know, like doctors used to do this all the time, right? Like they'd have to call a transcription service and have someone like convert their notes over the phone, like to text. Yeah. And you'd pay a lot of money for that service or some hospitals would pay for that service. And it was really... A pain in the ass because the doctor would have to you know dictate their notes into the phone and then wait for someone to type them up and then send them back and maybe it wasn't perfect or it was hard to understand and so that was a very manual process and that's just one industry one example there's lots of other things like that well microsoft azure's cognitive services one of the things they offer is this service for you automatically and it's all done by computers and by the way they do a much better job than anybody listening on the phone
0: and they could do it in multiple languages Yes. They can find like disposition information, which is pretty cool. So like what a good example to that might be like you take a whole recording of say a phone call to like a good example of this might be something that uh, people aren't happy, right? Like maybe you're calling back like your credit card company for a, a charge that isn't yours or something like that and, and, and you're not gonna be very happy. And so they record the entire call. Yep. And Microsoft Cognitive Services can can ingest that entire audio conversation and give you a score
1: like a sentiment analysis Yep.
0: so like on a scale of one to hundred a hundred being really angry yeah and zero being happy they'll give you a score of that conversation and say like we can say with x percent accuracy we think this person is you know 99 percent angry
1: that's right yeah that's right and it's it's really easy to hook up this would have been something so complicated to try to build on your own before and, and get accurate and now you can go to um, their site and you can hook this up and you can put your own data into it and immediately get feedback. Um, it's really amazing what they can do. And so we're looking at this for one of our projects around SMS messaging. And we want to try to figure out, like, is there a way that we can automate opting people out of our text messages? Um, you know, like, for example, if we send a message, like, would you like a quote? And they say, fuck off. Like, we would like to <laughs> automate that and say they probably don't want to hear from us again. 100% angry. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so I tried this like through their form, I put that text in there and sure enough, like it was a very negative sentiment. And so you could almost say like look if the sentiment score is below a certain threshold, then automatically unsubscribe these people, put them on do not call and do not contact and move on. Yeah. And you don't have to have a human there reading messages and logging into the system and doing all this work. It's all automated. Right. Um, along those lines, they had a really powerful demo using Microsoft Word and speech services. And so what they were doing was a translation service and you kind of mentioned it a minute ago, but the demo that they had up on the screen was really cool. They had, uh, like nine different windows of Microsoft Word open and they were trying to simulate, you know, a, a live document that someone was typing, but there was people from all over the world that were reading this document. And so as I'm typing in English as soon as I type like a letter or two letters or three letters, it's immediately typing this in nine different languages, Um, Greek, Hebrew, Spanish, uh, you know, like uh, across the board. And it's live translating everything. And so it was the coolest thing I've ever seen because there was no delay, no late anything. And, you know, you delete a thing and then update it. Boom. It's in real time.
0: Yeah. And I think we talked about that too. Maybe, maybe in the previous episode, because I was talking about the competing power, behind that, and you think about all the, the different things that need to happen, you know, number one, translating it to all those nine different languages, understanding the context of the sentence that it was put in, because, you know, they're all written di- in different ways. Yes. And it, you have to understand the context of, of the word that's being transcribed. Um, so the, the processing power that is happening behind the scenes, and for it to do all of that and return the data from the server in that <laughs> quick of a time is, yeah. is pretty incredible.
1: It is. It's hard to grasp. Just how much compute power is behind right. that, that operation.
0: And the speed. Like, yeah. just the... <laughs> you think back to the good old dial-up days, man. Like, you think of the, just the sheer speed of you sending it up, it doing stuff, and sending it back, and then you don't even perceive.
1: Yeah. I remember the old AOL days when I wanted to, like, download an image, you know? And it was like...
0: Come on, you were downloading an MP3. It's Napster.com. Well, Napster, that would
1: take years, though, dude. Oh, like,
0: like LimeWire. Back
1: man. in, like, the... No, the late 90s, if I wanted to do that shit, like, a song would take... I would do that overnight. Like, I would... Oh, I would set a whole album up and go to bed, and then come back and hope that it didn't error out or some bullshit. Oh, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. But even if you just wanted a single, or somebody image, didn't pick up the phone. Anything, anything, exactly, dude. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, oh, I gotta make a phone call. Yeah. Oh, my dial up just got killed. Yeah, gotta start over. Gotta hook, I was that,
0: at, hook that up to your teen line.
1: I was at ninety-seven percent, and then I got wiped out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Fuckers. No recovery from that. No,
1: no recovery. Um, I don't want to talk about all these things, but cognitive services is so powerful, and the, the, the technology behind it is, is really impressive. Um, I liked the example they gave about Personalizer. So Personalizer is a new service that came out of the conference, and this is about artificial intelligence that will analyze user behavior to make suggestions. So the kind of the, the example that they gave, they're, they're working with Starbucks right now. Did we talk about this last time too? No. Okay. This is pretty sweet. So they're working on a pilot with Starbucks. And um, let's just say, you know, right now one of their most popular food items is like the ham and cheese sandwich or whatever the fuck it is. I don't know. What's the popular thing there? The Something with sausage in it. And so what they're going to do is they're just going to show it to everybody based on popularity. Like, well, we know that this is our best-selling product. And so when anybody comes to the app, let's show this food item and recommend it. Well, now you're upsetting vegetarians and those types of folks who don't like sausage and cheese, biscuits. You know, it's not going to appeal to everybody. And, and right now that's just kind of a naive implementation. We don't have a better way of targeting items for people when they come to the store or go online to order. And so personalizer is really interesting. So it takes it to the next level. It'll look and say, well, let's look at all of your buying habits over the, last, over the lifetime of your account with us And see what you get and then notice trends like okay well this person never orders anything with meat in it or this person's always getting iced drinks or whatever and then it can tailor that um message on your on your app to recommend items that you prefer and give you suggested items that are kind of in the same family of items and so i thought that was really cool the vegetarian example was one that they showcased where it was like yeah we have a really high confidence 97 percent, that this person is a vegetarian so we're going to show them these five products instead
0: so it's it's kind of the same type of thing, but it's giving you a confidence score in, in various personal areas of, of, you know, what it knows about you.
1: It's going to look at your, your buying history. It's also going to take into account what you bought and the weather, um, the location, um, the time of year. And so, you know, maybe if you're... Um typically buying things in the Seattle area as we are, then it's going to make one recommendation, but it notices that when you go on vacation, then maybe you get like the bad drinks. Like you get the ones that are really chock full of calories because you're splurging or something. And so it'll recommend a sugary drink when you're on vacation. So it's pretty nuanced and dialed in these models, what they can do to to make accurate suggestions. And then also avoid the things that it knows you don't like.
0: Maybe we should use this for our reporting systems so that it would be nuanced enough to know like, oh, hey, by this time of year, maybe your uh, lead count goes down by X, Y, Z percent. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah.
1: To say like, don't, don't be alarmed.
0: Currently, like it, currently it's pretty dumb, right? It, it sees like trends in like a week's time versus like knowing over a course of a year, like, oh, this might be traditionally expected, you know, oh, it's yep. a holiday. Oh, yep. suddenly you should have a sharp drop in. In traffic because, you know, nobody's buying insurance on a Easter or something.
1: No, totally. We have a bunch of false positives all the time with alerting, right? Because um, if you're just looking at yesterday's data or you're looking at last Tuesday's data or whatever, um, that might work out most of the time. But then there's going to be those exceptions that you just mentioned. And, and then you're wasting a lot of time tracking down an issue that doesn't exist. So, um you know, this is this is getting away from like those naive implementations and really like getting a better understanding of of what's happening and all the variables that are involved in a decision and saying, okay, let's make smarter recommendations, let's eliminate the junk, and so that was a very cool uh, demo just for ordering coffee, but you can take that a lot of other places too.
0: Little real time follow up here. Uh, Rain is uh, mentioning that McDonald's is doing this already for their walk up uh point of sale systems really based on time of the day uh at least using a recommendation engine so he was kind of curious as to how this might differ from a traditional recommendation engine so similar things are already out there but i think they're much more binary than this right
1: well i I don't know how it works but i would i would have to say yeah it just depends on what this is an ai model that they're using so is that what mcdonald's is doing too a lot of times the examples out there are more naive and they're just kind of like well we know that it's lunchtime and this is the most popular right. items and we're going to show those, yeah. um, but they could be doing some more data mining and they might have some more sophisticated models in that case. I don't know. Like, oh, sure. it's different.
0: I think that's pretty exciting. I think the whole idea, it's kind of the whole machine learning cognitive services kind of all somewhat blend together um, to where you can get kind of better recommendations, better yep. information, uh, understand the context or the, the idea behind what it is. The data is basically telling you information about, meta information about the data that you're presenting. That's right. kind of really what it's doing. Right? Yeah,
1: big part of it. And and, and the, the only other one I would mention that was kind of interesting too is this form recognizer. And it's the same idea. It's that you know for um, businesses that still deal with a lot of paper transactions, think like uh, car dealerships and that sort of thing. Um, if you want to digitize that, that's a real difficult process and it requires a lot of oversight and data entry and that sort of thing to be accurate. Well, now they've done a really nice job using AI to... If you give it five copies of the same form, just with different data on it, as long as it looks the same, then that's enough to reverse engineer all the fields that are on that form. And then you can um, transcribe all that to from text to digital as well.
0: And that's uh, via image. Like you just upload yep. five images. Yeah. Five images. Yep.
1: And wow. once it, that's all it needs minimally to, to train the model. And then once it has that, it knows oh the first names here, and the social security numbers there, and then you can just feed it all of them and then pff, in the system.
0: That's pretty powerful. I could see a lot of use cases for that, for sure. Yep. Um, and then just have some kind of like immediate scanner that you can just feed the form into, boom. Knows yep. what the fields are and, and uploads it and yep. enters it in as an actual data point yep. versus a physical paper copy. Yeah, so you yeah. can
1: get that and then all of a sudden in your code you can start writing, like, okay, I want to access these fields and find out, blah, blah, blah. You can query hmm. against it pretty quickly. I feel like we could use that here. Yeah, do yeah. we have paper, a lot of paper stuff here? Yeah,
0: just for some ideas that have been thrown around.
1: It'd be worth looking into. It's really easy to get started now. Uh, so, yeah, I would check it out. That and, com- and the combination is the ink recognizer, so it'll recognize uh, handwriting with a pretty high degree of accuracy, too, like sloppy handwriting. Oh,
0: like cursive or something like that. Uh-huh. I can pick up and, and understand what those text marks are.
1: Yeah, so like the DMV, if you're, like, hand-filling wow. out these forms, it can read those and interpret those as text as well.
0: That'd be fun to mess with. Yeah. I feel like it almost be like the old, uh, capture images. Like you're like, I think that's a Y. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Does it give you a high degree of confidence of what, uh, what the handwriting is?
1: So in that demo, they weren't giving probabilities. It was just converting it. Yeah. So I don't know behind the scenes. I'm sure that's what you could access or just say, look, if it's below a certain confidence, then you're gonna have to kick it off to a manual process. Right. But if you only had to do that for 10% of the data entry, Mm or something like that. Or just go amazing. through and validate, right? Like it yeah. gives
0: you a picture of the image and what it thinks it's going to translate to and you can just hit a checkbox and say, mm-hmm. "Yep, that looks good," or "No, that looks bad," right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That's cool. So, very cool stuff. I think those are some of the highlights from Cognitive Services. There's a lot more that they're doing though, but that was just some fun practical stuff to kind of wrap your heads around there.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So, what else came out of the build? Like is that is that pretty much I know you talked about a little bit about Docker and Kubernetes. Cognitive services seemed to be a big impact at the, at the conference as well.
1: Yeah. There was Um, so much around that.
0: And obviously some of the announcements that, that you mentioned, you know, the, the product announcements, but, but was that kind of the, the main highlights?
1: I would say so. I think, um, for sure the developer tools. So visual studio updates that, that was, that was a pretty big deal too. There's some nice features coming out in the new version of the developer tools there. Um, and, you know, they did mention a little bit about Azure, just how it's become the world computer. I think they're in over 54 regions now. And so like they've just really been on a tear to build data centers all over the world. And um, that's really their objective is to become the world's computer. So, um, yeah, tons of growth. Um, yeah, some other geeky things. They So we talked about just the processing power. And so there are some places that you can't get to the cloud reliably or quickly or you don't have a good connection. And so for those things now they have what they're calling azure stack and so you can get different flavors of the entire azure cloud um, in a physical hardware device that you can bring uh, in the example they gave they have this ruggedized suv that has a microsoft decal on it and they're driving it like through some remote part of africa somewhere <laughs> and they deploy drones from the back of the microsoft truck to go collect data but what they're doing with this is pretty phenomenal. So if you have a natural disaster somewhere like an earthquake in some in some part of the world, then they can deploy this vehicle and these drones and they can immediately like get collect the samples of the terrain and use AI to figure out like well, what's the best path to get to somebody to rescue them or what's which roadways are intact and which ones are underwater or whatever and you can get very quickly it can survey the terrain, feed that data back into Azure Stack and then Uh, give you results on what the best thing to do is. Wow. That's pretty cool. So I think for disasters, that was kind of a neat example that they gave. Um, You could probably do it for other things too, but if you need a lot of processing in a quick amount of time, then you could even have, there's like Azure Stack, even on like a little board, like a Raspberry Pi kind of thing. What? So if you needed to have some processing done really close, it could do some stuff there, send it back. And if it, you know, Or send some things to the cloud later. Some of these were pretty beefy. Like the one, the one that they had, I don't remember the name of it now. It was the Data Box Edge, I think, or something like that. And uh, it does a lot of processing locally. It works disconnected, but then it can also send shit up to the cloud later when it's reconnected. And this particular box could hold like one petabyte of data. And then you like wheel it back to Microsoft <laughs> and they'll upload it and process it.
0: I think that stuff's really cool. Like those that you could take out into a remote, remote location where there's no connectivity whatsoever and then just like collect a ton of information like you said maybe a drone that's connecting you know gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of video yep hd content uh you know have it come back download it onto whatever you know vehicle or whatever is containing the 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 drives that are storing all this and then and then bring that back to a data center and just offload it and bam immediately available in the cloud things are processing it doing different work on it like the capabilities there are, are pretty impressive
1: very powerful. Yeah, reaching all the corners of the earth. Yeah, those are some of the highlights. I mean, there's other things in here. I don't know there's much worth talking about right now. Uh, the the new terminal that was the big one.
0: Oh, you're going to geek out on the terminal.
1: We don't have to talk about it now. It's pretty geeky, but the new terminal is pretty fucking phenomenal. Like, if you do anything at the command line, it's been like it hasn't been updated in what forty years. This new text
0: entry command line prompt that I type in commands is pretty sexy. Not it is. really.
1: Yeah, it is. It no. is. It is. Um, okay. Because of that, I'm not going to get into it. Right <laughs> now. I am fucking. I am jacked about it, and a lot of people that are command line dudes are no, jacked about like,
0: it. Let's hear. Let's hear what the new features are.
1: Well, it's it's just been updated like for the new the new generation. Man, it got a facelift, and so before there was just a lot of limitations that you had in the Windows command prompt, and so you would oftentimes have to download other command line terminals or resort to Linux. Like bash terminal. A lot of times if you're on Windows, you've got multiples. You've got PowerShell, Command, maybe Commander, get bash. So now I have to use four different terminals just to get the fucking job done. Why do I have to do that? Why couldn't I just have one that gets all of it done? Well, this is what it does. It it's combines all the terminal power into one. It's like the what? Captain Planet of Terminals? When our powers combine. <laughs> like <laughs> all right. it's 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 awesome, dude. Like so that it's it's just you can do everything now from one interface without having to download multiple things. To And the command line, a lot of times, is the quicker way to go. Not for everything, but it can be a really efficient way to get stuff done.
0: So this sounds a little bit about like uh, VS Code, which is another uh, editing tool that we have. But it has a built-in command prompt or a terminal. Uh, and you can have many different terminal types That's right. that are specified in it. So it allows you to create you know, many, many terminals, uh, each of them can run, you know, one could run PowerShell, one could run Bash, one could run whatever. Um, So it sounds like they're just replicating that into the command prompt that's built into Windows, more or less.
1: A little bit. It's a bit more than that. Um, They run in tabs. And so you can have multiple sessions running. Um, And it's like rich text support. So now you can do... I don't know why this is a big deal, but you can do like emojis and shit on there. <laughs> you got to have those. I mean, why not? If you yeah. do it on text message, why can't you do it at the command prompt?
0: That way I can flip people off in my code. That's right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> got a little bit of a cold here, man. I'm, got, I'm nah, not 100% right now. Oh, you need some tissues? I'm okay. We're almost done. I can just, I can bear and grin it here. We only have a few more minutes anyway. All right. Um, I think that was it. I thought this was interesting. There's some fun facts. Um, we're talking about speech to text. And typing, the average speed for typing is about 50 words per minute. I think we're probably a little better than that. I know we're better than that just from doing it all the time. If you're at the computer always. Um, but, but that's the general average. And, and speaking is three times that, 150 words a minute. And so I think there's a big push here with like speech text and, and that sort of thing that you can be three times more productive if you're um, using speech. And that's where they're trying to really open things up. And you have Alexa and, and uh, Cortana and that sort of thing already kind of out there, but they're just trying to make it that much more accessible that you just don't even type.
0: I think that'll be good for like certain certain entries like dictation or something where you have to write uh, write it out in email or something like that. But I think in the coding industry, that's going to be a pretty difficult thing to pull off.
1: I couldn't imagine coding by speaking. It just feels <laughs> weird.
0: Closing bracket.
1: Yeah. Like what do I say? Like Bar. Console, right line, uh, IntelliSense, IntelliSense. Uh, <laughs> what's the name of that thing again? IntelliSense. <laughs> yeah. C dot. (laughs)
0: Yeah. System dot. (laughs) Yeah. Namespace. Yeah. Dot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Because I'm always just like cheating on there, so I don't know how it would be any faster. Right. Um, So that was one kind of interesting fact. Another one is, too, is that a lot of times we uh, don't really have a sense. I don't have a sense of what other projects are like out in the wild. I know that the project that we're on right now, it's a solution that has, what, probably eight projects in it. Right. Which can look pretty Pretty big if you're not familiar with that sort of thing. I know that back in the day, I just worked on like one or two little projects. And so that was a big shift for me is to see these other solutions that had a lot more going on. Well, um, they were talking about the performance of Visual Studio 2019 and how it can load a lot faster and it can also hide the projects that you're not interested in, but still have them in the background. So you kind of declutter the screen. And they said that the Roslyn project that they had at Microsoft has 168 projects in the solution.
0: How long does that take to open that damn thing?
1: Well, a lot longer in visual studio 2017. That's for damn sure. That was, that was one of the things like, man, it's like a huge performance boost
0: here in quote wizard. We had a project called the whole enchilada. Yep. Which was literally every damn application we had. Every piece of code that was ever written here. (laughs) One, one big solution. You opened it up. It took 30 minutes to open that damn thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so that's a good example. If you had it in 2019, it'd probably be a lot quicker.
0: So. Well, we can test it. I'm sure it exists somewhere. Yeah. It probably wouldn't open anymore. It's so old. It's an old one. Good thing it's gone. I'm happy with that.
1: Uh, me too.
0: Right on. Well, I have one, uh, one last thing I thought might be interesting to talk about, and that's uh, kind of crunch time, which is uh, the project that we're working on right now. It is crunch time. It is crunch time. We're down to you know, basically a week in terms of business days Yeah. to work on the project. Uh, well, no, less than that. Less than that. Five days. Five days total. Before you're supposed days.
1: to test it. Like, it's supposed right. to be out in the wild for people using it. That's right.
0: And we're still working on stuff. So, you know, crunch time for people that may not be familiar, like, that's basically, like, that's time that, like, the developers have to either stay late, stay on weekends, that sort of thing. And we've been trying... As much as we possibly could to avoid that, I've been scheduling, you know, uh, bug bashes uh, or, or code sessions for late nights. We've been here a couple, two or three evenings till nine o'clock trying to, to knock some of this stuff out. But unfortunately, I think we're still going to be up against it. Um, the good thing is that I think the team in general has been really, really responsive to it. Nobody's kind of really grumbled too much. Uh, even though that you know it takes them away from their family and it takes them away from things that they want to do and that sort of thing, but I think most people are are very committed to the project and very committed to the goal. Yes, and I think that's um, something that speaks volumes to the team that we have here. Whereas a lot of people, you know, maybe be like, "Nope, I'm going to go home at four. You know, that's my that's my cutoff time. I need to go home and do this and this and this and this." Um, people are willing to give up and sacrifice things that uh, might be near and dear to them, and I definitely appreciate that. Not something I expect out of everybody. That shouldn't be the norm for right. sure. Um, and I don't think it ever will be here. But um, it's, it's something that I think most developers have to face at some point. Um, and I think the team has stepped up huge and continues to step up huge. And uh, I don't know, just something that a lot of people probably don't realize about the dev industry is that like, you know, project lines come up, new features that maybe are forgotten about or just, you know, continue to be really buggy had to continue to be worked on and didn't have to be completely flushed out before the deadline. And so like that, what that results in is like teams of people sitting in an office, sitting at a computer, trying to figure out the problem until the wee hours of the morning.
1: Well, I think oftentimes the, the sexy side of development gets put out there and you often hear about the, the short days and the beer Fridays and that sort of thing. And like, you know, unlimited PTO and like, there's certainly a lot of perks, but I think it does come with that balance and so like we you know i think a lot of people here we've got the one of the the best team i think we've ever had here in my in my five years for sure and just you know you kind of that's the side that's the balance right that's the balancing act it's like look you get a lot of liberty and freedom to do these things but then when we need you we need you here and so it's like you get you don't get one without the other and and it's not even really like it's happening 50 50 it's probably a lot more leisure time than not but um I'm happy too because everybody's been really willing to step up and I've seen people here late every night. It's been pretty cool to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think it's been a pretty cool thing to see and I'm I'm excited for the the one coming up tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I'll be This will be my first one. I was out of town for the last one, so I'm sticking around. It'll be good. And
0: of course, you know, I get a grumble 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 on the Facebook messages here from Old Rain. Yeah.
1: Oh, he's just teasing. Yeah. We'll probably bring in some donuts or something.
0: There you go. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for watching, if you stuck with us on this whole thing. Wow.
1: We had, like, up to four or five people at one point. Hey. That was cool. That's Never something. had that happen before. Yeah.
0: Well, the Coffee and CodeCast is recorded live from Seattle, Washington, every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. You can join us at www.coffeecodecast.com slash live. I need to get that pointed toward Facebook. Yes. Because I think we're going to be posting here more often. Our artwork is provided by Yurne the gentle giant you can check out more of his illustrations at coffee codecast.com slash gentle giant you can reach us on twitter at coffee codecast or via email at coffee codecast at gmail.com the podcast is available from itunes spotify TuneIn, stitcher google play music and radio public or wherever you get your podcasts the website is com. thank you as always for listening we'll see you next week see you
1: guys Woo.